I'm Claire. And I'm Liz. And this is The Balancing Act, a podcast where we talk about law, life, and everything in between. Okay, so over the next couple of episodes, we're going to be talking about communicating with different individuals that you might need to communicate with on a case. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about working with and communicating with pro se or self-represented individuals. So usually when, as like a shorthand, when we're talking about these individuals, we talk about it as an opposing party. Although you can be an opposing party regardless of whether you have your own attorney. But these individuals have decided for whatever reason to not hire an attorney. Sometimes that's fine. Sometimes it can be a little difficult. So Liz, when you take on a case and you know the other side um, is not going to have an attorney, what is one of the first things that you want to do? The first thing that I do is, first of all, I still want to clarify that they actually don't have an attorney because there are ethical issues. If a party does happen to be represented and you have contact with them, you would be violating the Minnesota Rules of Professional Responsibility. I believe it's Rule 4.2. And so in general, as a practice, I do send out some sort of writing, usually a letter, an email just saying, hey, my name's Liz Shermack and I represent the other party and I'm hoping to discuss settlement, but I'm sending you this letter directly because it's my understanding that you are not represented by an attorney. If I am wrong, please have your attorney contact me because I don't want there to be any question of whether or not I'm having unauthorized communication. Claire. What do you think or what do you do in these cases? Yeah, I think definitely a first step is to make sure they're not represented. And then I think another thing to make sure to do is they know I'm not their attorney. So especially in the cases of like a divorce or custody where there's a full agreement and I'm just drafting the court documents and helping them get through the court case, but they don't like feel adversarial, sometimes people will think... I'm both of their attorneys and to just make it abundantly clear that I'm only, you know, party A's attorney and not party B's attorney. And so to put that in writing, but also, you know, if I'm talking with them either in person or on the phone to make sure they understand that verbally too. Yeah, I do find that sometimes people do need quite a few reminders of that. And it is really easy when the parties are getting along and you're helping them kind of word their agreement, it still is important because we do have a duty to our clients, not to the opposing party. And when it is uncontested, of course, we're not going to try to ruin an agreement or be like a deal killer, but we still have to be careful. And uh, Minnesota Rules of Professional Responsibility, uh, Rule 4.3, makes it very clear um, how an attorney is to communicate with an unrepresented party, including the fact that we need to be very sure that they understand we don't represent them. So what are some things that can be helpful if the other side is pro se or unrepresented? I think that, first of all, we do have an obligation generally under the court rules 
at least for family court, we're supposed to be trying to work with parties to settle the case. That doesn't yeah. mean that we're mediators, but we're supposed to be making settlement offers or settlement proposals, and we're supposed to try to have communication with other side, yes. even if they don't have a lawyer, yes. and even if things are contentious. Yes. It's not always the easiest when the other party does not have an attorney for a variety of reasons, including that sometimes the opposing party is not represented because they hate lawyers and they hate the legal system, and that can make it really difficult to try to have any sort of productive conversation or work towards any sort of settlement. And it is really frustrating for the client then because you're not necessarily able to move the case forward without court intervention. What sort of things do you notice, Claire, when you're working with pro se opposing parties? Well, I try to start every initial interaction assuming positive intent, assuming that the other person does want to reach a settlement and is reasonable and all of that. And sometimes it works out that way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what parties just need for an impasse is not a neutral because I am a zealous advocate for my client, but certainly someone else to come in and say like, hey, you know, this is this is a more reasonable proposal than what you're coming up with. Or let's think about this practically. It's not going to practically work for you to get the kids up at 4.30 to bring them over to the other parent's house. But I think one of the things that can be difficult when working with pro se individuals is the court will hold them or is supposed to hold them to the same standard as attorneys. And that can be difficult because it's really more than just the three years of law school that makes you an effective attorney. It's knowing court rules. It's knowing different court procedures. It's knowing basically what's going to happen at each different court hearing or step along the process. So to work with somebody who has never done anything like that before or doesn't have that same background can be frustrating. I agree. That's a great tip that you gave that, you know, you'll always start out assuming positive intentions. That is so important because we don't want to make things worse for our clients yes. and for their families. Yes. And by at least starting out positive, that doesn't mean that you're not looking out for your client's interests, but the way that you communicate to an opposing party, especially one who might be suspicious of the legal system or have had bad experiences or, you know, for whatever reason, they, you know, are not thrilled about lawyers, it is really important to at least try to be positive in your interactions with them. It's also important to try to keep a record of your interactions with yes. opposing parties that are pro se. I know I've had pro se parties sometimes try to claim things, you know, happened that didn't. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, Claire. Well, I usually try, like, if I'm ever talking with someone on the phone to just then send a follow-up email, you know, to reiterate, Liz, when we were talking on the phone this morning, we agreed that we were going to do X, Y, and Z, and I was going to get you know, this retirement account and you were going to get that, you know, bank account statement or whatever in an attempt to head off miscommunication. That's a great 
idea. And then another thought, too, is when you were talking about how pro se people are, in theory, held to the same standard as a represented party. One thing that, as an attorney, that I have found maybe difficult at times is that let's pretend that we go to court, and at the court hearing, before going in front of the judge, we come to an agreement, meaning my client and the pro se party. And then we go into the courtroom and we read the agreement on the record, but we don't have a signed document yet. Generally, the judge is going to say, yes, what you read on the record is your official order in this case, but they're still going to ask for a written order. And they're going to ask you to do it, which means your client is paying you to do that order. And then typically they're also expecting, the court is typically expecting that it's a written order signed by both parties, which involves then trying to collect signatures. And that can be frustrating. Some parties are really, you know, great about getting back and getting signatures to you right away. And some people need a little bit more nudging. And so it's, it sometimes feels a little unfair because there's, you know, this new burden put on your client and your client is already the party who's paying for an attorney. Well, I think what you're saying is true that that can sometimes be a frustration for our client who is paying legal fees and as opposed to the other person who's the not paying legal fees, you know, they're kind of feeling like they're getting the short end of the stick, even though, at least in my opinion, they're getting a better deal because they they are getting the education as to know what's going on in their case and are getting guidance and advice the whole way through, as opposed to maybe some offhanded information from the mediator or the judge that then the other person considers to be legal advice, which definitely isn't. 